I read comics, show number 34. Without too much more ado, an interview with Leah Hernandez. I feel very lucky that Leah chatted with me for as long as she did. She's an artist, an artist artist, a webcomic artist, a comic book artist, and she's currently offering a webcomics grant, the NAN grant, which you've probably heard about. She is a wonderful storyteller, and we had a great time on the phone. In fact, we had such a good time that we talked for about two hours, so I've broken this interview into two pieces, two bite-sized digestible pieces. And I will apologize in advance for some of the audio weirdness. I have tried to make it as listenable as possible, and I think it's very listenable, but I had to do some fooling around with the levels. But you will love what Leah has to say. She is a wonderful, wonderful person in comics and also at the forefront of a lot of what's going on with women in comics. So over at the blog, I've put in lots of links to her sites and to uh, work that she's done that's available either through various websites or through um, outlets like Powell's. So go and buy some of her stuff or at least go over to DeviantArt and look at the beautiful stuff that she does. And now here's me and Leah. So now, listeners... We have an interview, um, and this is part of the series that I've been talking about, which is interviews with women who either do comics or blog about comics. And Leah is someone that I've wanted to have on the show for a while because she's so wonderful. So I'm very, very happy that we were able to connect and overcome the technology issues that were trying to keep us apart. <laughs> but we mastered them, and we, we got it. So this is a Skype-to-phone call, which we, we managed to make work. So thank you very much for taking time. Ah, no problem. This is my pleasure. Oh, this is great. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly how I found your blog because um, you are linked in a lot of different places, and I think it was probably through um, my friend Ginger Mayerson, and I think she must have sent me links to your blogs a couple of times, and then as soon as I started reading it, I saw that you were being referenced in so many other places, and, and I started reading about Hurt Comics, and then there was When Fangirls Attack, so you're like sort of squarely in the middle of all this excitement and energy that's happening around women in comics right now. Yeah, it's really... It's exciting. It is. Excitement is the word. Yeah. I mean, it's exciting. Why, why do you think it's happening all of a sudden? It just seems like within the past literally two or three months, there's been all this participation. I, I'd say it actually goes back about six months. Uh-huh. But um, uh, <laughs> about three, no, no, how long ago was it? It might have been four or patching the floor of my <laughs> studio. And I think what happened was it just reached, you know, he talks about things going viral and then things reaching the tipping point where they go from, you know, people generally being unaware to people being aware of something. You know, not that it isn't mm-hmm. happening, but up to that point, but then it, it gathers momentum and tips. Mm-hmm. And, and I think... I think what brought everything to the tipping point was a combination of things. It was um, it was uh, Rene Bourgeois Garcia's mm-hmm. uh, hotly contested series of columns. Yes, and I'm not going to uh, at this point in the interview not going to offer an opinion <laughs> on whether this you know they were handled well or not. All right, but, and for people who haven't been following, we're talking about the the Mid Ohio Gate Con right, thing. Mid Ohio <laughs> Gate, Taki Coma Gate. Yes, uh, you know Brownstein Gate. Uh, Lily Payette's gate. <laughs> yeah, um, but um, it was it was that in combination with. I mean, in November, I had said to my live journals and my regular readers, I'd said, uh, and and my lurkers, I guess, um, I said, what if I just didn't go to any cons next year except for the ones I've committed to? I said I would go to Cape, and I I you know had to go to Anime Iowa. I had to because I canceled my appearance at the last minute because I was ill and I just couldn't get on a plane. And so those were the only two I was committed to. And I thought, well, what if I just skipped 
eighth and didn't even try to, you know, get to MOCA this year or try to get to um, SPX, which I've always wanted to go to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even took a pass on the really big shoe of San Diego Comic-Con. What if I just didn't do that to myself Mm -hmm. this year? And there was that. And then there was, and no, and I didn't even realize at the time, I thought, you know, I just want that 30 days a year back. I'd like a month of my life back. Yeah, yeah. I'm spending one-twelfth of a year on the road, at a con, coming back, recovering, packing, preparing, unpreparing, you know, being in con blah mode, um, and, and arranging the time off for, you know, my husband arranging the time off so we can be with our kids, because when... When a, a lot of professionals go, they have someone to watch their kids. Yeah, uh, it's, it's it's usually their their wife. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm in the position of being the person that goes, mm-hmm. and the husband has to get time off, and his schedule isn't as flexible as mine. Um, he's got a different sort of job. So um, I thought, what if I just took a year off from that? That you know four times a year, five, six times a year headache. And then there was um then there was Ronay's column. At the very end of December it was like the last middle finger in the air to comics for the year. Mm-hmm. And then um, you know, I think it was uh I'd have to check but I believe it was um January second or fourth. It was really early in the year. You know, the first thing I see on Tuesday morning, um, you know, and I'd already decided that I'd had enough of comics and I was no longer going to, you know, knock myself out, film myself, seeking mainstream work and putting up with the crap that is necessary to put up with to work in mainstream comics. And I'm not just talking about um, the, the stuff related to my gender. I'm talking about the stuff that, the way they do comics, I mean, everybody can see how they do comics. There's now, you know, many, many documented instances mm-hmm. of how female characters are created, treated, treated in comics, mm-hmm. and um, and how uh, how female characters are treated, how female creators are treated. It's all, you know, it's very well documented now that this is a problem, and it's not an old problem, and it's not a problem that's gotten any better in 20 years. And I thought if I quit then I can just say what I want to say and stop choking down what I've been choking down for 20 years. Mm -hmm. You know, because you don't want to make waves, things could get better. You don't want to upset somebody. You don't want to make somebody uncomfortable. You don't want to see that look in their eyes that says, oh, dear, I've gone through the guardrail, to use a a, uh, Zucker phrase, one of the creators of Airplane, he has a phrase called (laughs) through the guardrail which actually means a joke that makes everybody go, ha, 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 oh, <laughs> oh, you know, those kind of jokes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Kind of make John Stewart on The Daily Show go, oh, you laugh. <laughs> and I thought that'll be, that'll be right through the guardrail if I do that. Mm-hmm. But it won't matter anymore because I don't care. Mm-hmm. I've just, I'm so fed up and so disgusted. I could just say right now I'm quitting comics and then I can get my lawn chair and my bag of popcorn and just watch everybody go kablooey. Right. Now, you you were very clear at the time that this didn't mean that you were not going to do art or that you weren't gonna, you were going to stop drawing. It just meant yeah. that you were going to continue to do it but outside the mainstream on your own terms. Yeah, I was going to do it on my own terms and I was, you know, I was going to you know, do the books I was contractually obligated to do for other publishers. But aside from that, I would you know, web publish and or self publish but I was I was done dealing with the bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can say bullshit, can't we? <laughs> so now it's yeah. now it's like six months later and how does it feel and what are you doing? I mean, it, it has it been this major turning point in your life? I love that you asked that. <laughs> because four days ago I uh we got I, I bought my kids an above ground pool, um my, my son is autistic, he's high-functioning, but he, uh, physical therapy helps him a great deal. And I bought, um, I bought an above-ground pool from, you know, the Starbucks of cheap retailing Walmart. And, uh, and it took 
you know, it really does only take 30 minutes to get them ready for water. <laughs> the box says. They just sort of leave out three weeks of, of moving 500 pounds of dirt by yourself. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. Which is what I did. I, I moved 500 pounds of dirt by myself with a, a flat-edge shovel, and uh, I found out that tile scrapers meant to, like, pull up old linoleum and vinyl tile are really good for making straight cuts in dirt. So I'm looking at this. I had to dig out like seven inches down into my, my sloped yard. Oh, crap. And the first day we get in the pool, we filled the pool up. It's full. It's cool. It's comfortable. I have this inflatable raft. My daughter said, oh, get that one for yourself because they had a cup holder. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> And we realize now, see, don't drink anything, and if you have to pee, you should go pee now. Um, Because we realized when the cup holder, when it was all inflated the way it was made, it looked like a cat's butt holder. (laughs) A cat's butt hole, not a cat's butt holder. A cat's butt hole. It looks like a cat's butt hole because it's all kind of like puckered. That's hilarious. I don't even even want to put a cup in it. It looks like a cat's butt hole. But I'm sitting there. I have the mobile phone, and... I, I'm laying there in the pool, bobbing around on this this giant raft, and it's it's a pretty big pool. It's about 15 feet across, but it was really you know like Walmart and Market. Uh-huh. And I'm bobbing around in this pool, and and we have a we have a really kind of ugly house on a really beautiful lot. And when you're laying on the back in the pool, you can't see the, the kind of homely house. There's trees all around you. And the trees circle uh, a bowl of sky, and it's that perfect bright summer blue, and there are puffy clouds mincing across the sky. And I start calling my friends on the mobile phone <laughs> and telling them, hey, I'm calling you. Guess where I'm calling you? Guess where I'm calling you from? I'm calling you from my pool. That's right, my pool. <laughs> and, and, and I said to one of them, I said, you know, if I had known quitting comedy for like it was going to be like this, because I've, I've quit comics. I quit making comics for other people. I quit. If I had known it was going to be like this, that I could be in the pool on an afternoon mm. instead of fretting about getting ready for a con or mm-hmm. chasing a job or wondering who I had to impress or, mm-hmm. you know, waiting with fear and anticipation of a follow-up email that Merriman and I have good news. Just letting go of all that, that stress. Like, if I had known... Mm-hmm. It's going to be laying in a pool with a mobile phone with a, a, a big raft with a couple or it looks like a cat's butthole. I'd have quit five years ago. <laughs> if this is quitting comics, I'll quit every... And then I said, you know, if this is quitting comics, I will quit every year. <laughs> because this is awesome. Oh, that is so great. Wow. I, I mean, it's such a... Um a big thing for you to do. And I, I think when it's time, when everybody has those decisions to make, there's such a fear of what could happen if you did it, right? It's like, all you can think about are the bad things. Like, oh my God, if I quit comics, I'll never get another job and I'll end up starving yeah. in the gutter. And you never think of how great it could be and that you could be lying in a pool with a mobile phone, just, yeah. you know, <laughs> portable phone, you know, <laughs> in your, your very kind of aggressively lower middle class neighborhood, oh. you know, our, our next door neighbor welds in his driveway, you know, oh. and it has a mobile home perpetually hot. It's like living, um, it's like living on the street in King of the Hill. <laughs> I was going to say that actually. It's like, it's exactly like King of the Hill oh. and it's really, it's really fantastic. You know, we put on barbecues, you had, you know, one of those, uh, uh, what is it? National Night Out Block Party. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And our next-door neighbor put up, you know, they brought smokers from all over. So we had, like, an <laughs> army of smokers and and potato salad. And my husband makes his chocolate chip cookies, which people just walk in our house, go to the cookie jar, see if there are cookies there. Um, and, and, you know, and then various um, representatives from the city would cruise each of the announced block parties. And they were all over our, our little city. And cruise the block parties, and the cops would cruise it, too, because one of the guys attending lives right across the street is a police detective. Ah. And um, so, you know, he's there, and he tells his buddies, and they start radioing each other, and all these cop cars keep coming. <laughs> but one at a time, but there's this steady procession of cop cars coming one at a time, and the cops getting barbecued and eating it on the, the trunk lids of their, right. <laughs> of their patrol cars. I had pictures of this. 
I tried to get a picture of them eating, but as soon as they saw a camera, they all snapped to attention with their barbecue. Really? But that's, um, that's great. I mean, you know, those are the right kinds right. of friends to have. Absolutely. It is. It is so, <laughs> it's so nice. And it's so normal. And I really do like the energy of conventions. I really do enjoy going. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that comics is comics and your life is your life. You gotta have, you gotta have that kind of, you gotta have one to help you really appreciate the other. But you really do need a lot more of, um, you know, nighttime barbecues with cops eating off mm-hmm. the, the trunkles of their cars than you need of the, the razzle dazzle. Yeah. Crazy. That, that's, that's a great point, and I, I wanted to come back to that a little bit. Um, I had been talking with um, Carol Tyler a couple months ago when she, mm-hmm. she was at um, APE, and one of the things we talked about was her difficulty in trying to balance her art with her life and um, raising a child and having to do all those things. And mm-hmm. we were just talking about how, as you mentioned before, how different it is for women who are artists or, or comic artists because mm-hmm. you don't have that other person usually whose job, I put job in quotes, job it is to take care of the kids or the house yeah. or whatever you have. So I just wanted to know like, like what what has happened and specifically how has thing, how things changed since you quit comics? How's the balance in your life been working out now? I... You know, <laughs> how do I answer this? Um, I just, uh, I was being pushed in that direction for a long time. Um, ever since 2000, uh, I went to San Diego that year. It was the first time I'd gone for the whole four days in a long time. Because I found, you know, that 24 or 48, 48 hours of San Diego was really good. Mm-hmm. And then once you get past that, it starts to be like you're you're eating someplace. Oh yeah, you're eating like you're never going to eat again. It, it's brutal. I mean, it, just yeah. the experience is completely exhausting mentally and physically. Yeah, and especially if you kind of like, um, if you're like me. I mean, I think it would probably get to anybody. But if you're you're like me, and after a while, you're just sort of sort of desperately overstimulated and mm-hmm. it's just too much and and. Uh, um, it's not unknown for me to, uh, among my groups of friends, to have meltdowns. In fact, one of them, uh, one of my friend's husbands joked, uh, what is it, two years ago, joked that it was only Friday. Why was I, why was I starting to go splaw? <laughs> it was like, oh, you know, I just, I really, I don't want to go into that. But it was, you know, it was, it was an off, uh, it was an off-con uh, sort of thing. It was something that happened outside the con, but it was sort of like, it, it didn't make me feel real good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I came back to the con, I was just like, oh, I'm so stressed out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, usually it takes until about Saturday night before I'm completely losing my shit. But it's, uh, but so since so 2000, I, I had a table in the image block which I thought was great. I thought that it was good to have an image block, and I think they ought to keep on doing it because at the time and even now, I think it's important, even though everybody does their own little thing in image, my opinion, then and now, is to show a kind of unified, unified face to the company is important, especially because everybody does their own little thing. And at that time, the line was extremely diverse. You had kind of typical image stuff, which is like, you know, teeny waist and big boobs. You had the Red Star. You had more alternative stuff. Uh, they, they were doing uh, a manga, I think. And then there was, you know, my books, which were just kind of flat-out uh, manga-influenced OEL uh, girly stuff. Mm-hmm. And and it just, everything that could have possibly gone wrong went wrong. It, it just was a really bad experience. And I had a... I had a table mate that when he was there, he had three friends who were all very nice, but they looked kind of scary. Oh. And they would just sit there and hold down the floor. They wouldn't do anything. They would just sit in chairs and kind of slide down in them and cross their arms and and um, across the aisle, completely unrelated, was a dot-com, which is, you know, was over in three months after the convention. <laughs> they, they, like, blew their last bit of venture capital, getting a booth, buying t-shirts to cut up for like 12 girls all, all very shapely girls and buying them those shorts you know the shorts i think they're out of style now thank god 
the shorts where the word, whatever word is on them, is right over the butthole. Uh huh, uh huh. You know what shorts I'm talking about? Yeah, I've seen those shorts. I mean, butthole shorts, and I'm like, okay, that's just a bad place to put a word, <laughs> but especially a word like, you know, like juicy or fiesta <laughs> or, you know, no exit, uh. whatever. But they had, you know, they had the name of the dot com right over their butthole. And, and then they had all, they all had t-shirts with the name on it and they're all torn up. And then they had a professional, um, uh, titty dancer in the booth and she was wearing these kind of, um, she was up on a platform and she's wearing these, uh, loose shorts that you could sort of see up. And, um, it was, uh, the aisle was really blocked a lot and the music was loud. And in spite of having security sent over, you know, about three times on even the first day, they just would turn it down until security disappeared and turn it back oh. up. And, um, you know, I'm really kind of a lot more evil than I was in 2000, and it's probably just as well I'm not going anywhere this year because, you know, me, now I would go to the booth, you know, when everybody was gone and, and do something to the sound system, like, you know, unplug it, take the cords, whatever. Uh-huh. Um... But at the time, I just kind of sat there really helpless and frustrated because the noise level and the aisle clogging from the titty dancer was just killing. Oh, what a nightmare. Business. And it was, it was like customer repellent. And, and the guy next to me, nice enough. He was not an, a nice guy, but most of the time, he was either half the time, not most, half the time he wasn't there, so the table looked kind of empty. And the other half of the time he was there, he had kind of his buddies and people sitting at a table with their arms crossed kind of staring at people mm -hmm. they don't mean for it to be but it is a it's a customer repellent you have to stand up and you have to make sure everybody in your booth looks friendly yeah of course and approachable and the only thing that saved me was like this giant tower of made of pvc with blow-ups and my covers on it with flowers on it and it looked you know really aggressively girly right in the middle of all this image stuff but at least it got people to look down the aisle and go, oh, there's something besides Moise and the titty dancer. Yeah. That's good. Let's go look. It's a girl thing. Um, but there were just other things. I got sent to a seminar for printing that I was told was mandatory. And it turned out that it was for people working in image who were printing in color, which didn't mean me. <laughs> you know, two and a half hours later, and then we were supposedly going to have all our paperwork for the uh, Franchise Tax Board, and you have to have your paperwork yeah. if you're out of County, California. You have to have that paperwork. Oh, yeah. Supposedly, it was all going to be taken care of, and then we found out when we got there it hadn't been taken care of because they found out, oh, we can't do this for you like we thought. Uh, you got to go do it. And so, you know, I spent, um, it's either Thursday or Friday, walking to the Franchise Tax Board <sighs> and then walking back and and heels, and I actually got about halfway back, and I went to the Greyhound station, because they always have cabs there waiting for the guys to get out of jail, uh-huh, and, you know, asked for a ride back to the convention center, and this one guy was like, I'm not going to do it, he said, it's right there, and I was like, look at my feet, <laughs> look at my feet, and it was an hour and a half there, and, and, you know, my roommate that year was Carla Steve McNeil, and Carla just didn't know what to do with my shit at all, because every night I'm like, I got, 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 and meetings were made and repeatedly canceled, and and just and there were other things that were just uh, it was just the stock, and um, that was the beginning of the end right there. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, this is um, you know, and I thought I finally got you know two graphic novels out. I'm working on a series, and I am just about as unhappy. Huh. as I have ever been, huh. but for entirely different reasons. And, and let, let this be a warning to you, aspiring uh, <laughs> comicers. They, there's, it's like, a, like that dad gives the speech in parenthood. There's no finish line. There's no high mm -hmm, five. Mm -hmm. You know, you just sort of swap out one set of circumstances for another. Yeah. Or as a counselor said to me when I was, I was uh, 18 and really enormously depressed, and that I had thought about suicide, she said, um, she said, what if you're reincarnated and you die and you don't come back as something better or something worse, you come back laterally <laughs> and you just go through the same shit uh -huh. all over again. <laughs> what if, have you thought of it? What if, because she was kind of more Buddhist mm -hmm. than, you know, Christian leaning or, or atheist or agnostic. She said, what if you make a lateral move? And I was like, 
Oh, fuck, I can't do this again. Fuck. Yeah, really. I don't want to do this. Ah. And, and the thing is, in your comics career, you, you make lateral moves. You might have more money, but you have a different set of circumstances. And, um, and, and the other really good piece of advice I got from a, a birth assistant was to take responsibility for however things turned out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so taking responsibility, there were a lot of things I couldn't done that I didn't do because I kept expecting them to be done for me because I was with a company. Mm-hmm. And, and the only problem with that is in comics, especially the woman, you kind of are expected to expect. <laughs> You're expected to be nice and ask for help and ask for somebody to do it for you and say, I don't want to be in any trouble, mm-hmm. and you don't want to make waves, and you don't want people to think you're difficult, and that you're unfriendly, and you're unapproachable, and blah, 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 blah. So I, I could have gone over to Farm Club and, and, you know, raised hell. I could have, you know, probably gone higher than security and raised hell about the noise level because it was excessive, but then I wouldn't be nice. Right. You know, I could have asked my... Uh, my table mate to tell his friends to please not be there, but then I wouldn't be nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, there was still a lot of currency in being nice. It was really important to be nice. Mm-hmm. And what I found was that year that all the nice in the world, and, and I thought I was possessed of quite a lot of it, um, didn't do jack shit for me. Mm-hmm. You know, my I never got my meetings. I had a lot of my time wasted. I had my sales killed, dead, and and I just came home really angry and at myself and and at everybody around yeah. me. You know, and had this hopelessly bad meltdown on Saturday night where I just started to cry from frustration and couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. And it was really horrible. It was one of those things that feeds itself because you start to cry because you're upset. And then you start to cry because you're crying. Right, <laughs> right. Like, I can't cry and everybody's going to hate me. Nobody's ever going to ask me to dinner again. Oh, yeah. what the hell? It's like that. Yeah. Just, it was just really super pitiful. And that was the beginning of the end. Yeah. Well, you know, it. It's so true what you're saying. I mean, that this idea that especially women, especially women have to be nice and have to not be angry or show their anger. They can be angry, but they can't show their anger. And I feel like what's happening now with this this momentum that we were talking about Mm -hmm. before is that a lot of women have decided that they're pissed and they're going to act like they're pissed. And it doesn't matter if Mm -hmm. people get offended or upset because they are pissed that... There's just a lot of people who, who don't care anymore about what other folks think. And I include myself in that group because I don't care. Yeah, they're, they're mad as hell and they don't care anymore. And that, yeah, and, you know, I've actually, uh, I'm going to give a shout-out to all my, my LJ peeps. Um, they've been really supportive. I know a lot of these people in real life. Um, uh, I, I'd say, you know, I have a lot more friends now than I do on my LJ list. <laughs> So I couldn't say that I've I've met half of them in person anymore, but I met a great many of them in person at conventions, or I knew them before I ever got an LJ, Mm -hmm. which is why I had the friends I did, because I knew them before. I knew them from other services and conventions, and some I've known for a really long time. Um, And and by long time, I don't mean five years. You know, I mean, uh, like seven, Lisa John Tay. I mean, like uh, more than 20, Paul Rydell. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, a really long time, some of them going back to the beginning or halfway point of my career or, you know, around the time when my first graphic novel came out. Um, and they've been really, really supportive. And, <laughs> you know, and I think I think a few of my friends are nonplussed and they're kind of like, well, that's not what I would do, but uh, go. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think a few of my friends are kind of like, oh, dear. <laughs> Oh dear, that's just, you're just, wow, you're angry. <laughs> They're kind of uncomfortable with the, the level of my, my, uh, my, you know, my, my, somebody, it's not, you know, like it was in January, but the, the level of my hate was discomforting. But, um, but it was probably more discomforting, you know, five, three, two years ago. Yeah. Well, it, it's so refreshing. I mean, that, that's the great thing about, um, your whole, your original Hurt Comics post and the things that you've posted since there is that, it's so 
it's honest and it's direct and it's just a total expression of, of what you're feeling without that caring what other people think or caring that you need to please someone else. And I mean, rarely do you see women expressing themselves like that. Yeah, and see, the thing is, it is important to care. It's just knowing when to care. Mm-hmm. It's knowing when to give a shit. I give a shit what my kids think. Right. I give a shit what my friends think. Mm-hmm. I care what my husband thinks. Mm, my mom still has the ability to sting me, but, you know, I, you know, not so much. But, um, um, but to care, to give people that kind of power over you, Mm -hmm. because consciously or unconsciously, they are aware of the position they're in relative to the position you're in, um, and they have that power over you to control your behavior, mm-hmm. you know, or they think they do, mm-hmm. um, and and they abuse it, and they may not mean to. I'm not casting everyone in comics that I butt heads with as uh, abusive, but I have noticed the tendency to abuse that power. I certainly have, mm-hmm. and um, what happens? Last summer at um, San Diego, and I, I mentioned this in the uh, one of the follow-up columns Renee did at uh, let's see what do we popcultureshock.com. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an incident at a dinner last year in San Diego, and it was a formal dinner. It was a nice dinner. It was an expensive dinner. It was a order whatever you want. Don't insult me by ordering from the middle of the menu dinner. It was it was unlimited booze dinner. And, um, you know, and I had my breath fondled by uh, the wife of another cartoonist at the dinner. And it was just like, oh, my God, (laughs) I can't believe this shit is still happening. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. It was just unbelievable. It was staggering. And it was, it, it is amazing and awful how upsetting and dehumanizing and defeminizing, mm-hmm. um, you know, 10 seconds of, of unwanted boob jiggling can do for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't want it, and I was very plain that I didn't want it. I had my arms up saying, no, thank you. I don't want my boobs jiggled. And and her and the other cartoonists, you know, just kept at it. It was like, you know, I don't care if these tits come into the room before I do. That doesn't mean I want them touched. Mm-hmm. Not by you, princess. Um, and uh, I was so disappointed in the behavior of, you know, one of them was pretty drunk, as far as I know. She seemed she seemed pretty drunk. Um, but the other person, as far as I could tell, wasn't, and neither of them had any official behavior. And I thought, oh, my God, I can't even go to dinner. Mm-hmm. And I talked to, um, I talked to everyone involved the next day. I talked to my publisher. I talked to uh, I talked to the wife or the husband of the the woman who had jiggled me, and I never got a chance to talk to the other person involved. I couldn't find them again. But um, you know, the attitude of the publisher kind of you know frustratingly was, well, I'm sure they didn't mean anything by it. Like, well, you know, that's part of the problem. They didn't mean anything by mm-hmm. it. I wasn't anything to them. And that sucks. Mm-hmm. It sucks to be nothing to somebody. Right. Um, and, um, you know, it's the same sort of rage you get when you're walking down the street and someone yells an insult at you, you know, like, you know, hey, yard sticker, or, or hey, fat ass, or hey, stupid, whatever. You know, some insult based on your appearance. It's just totally dehumanizing. It reduces you mm-hmm. to one characteristic, mm-hmm. one undesirable to a stranger characteristic. I was just kind of really bothered by that and and you know that fed into the decision to just take a break yeah for for a year uh from going to cons and then and then you know then there was Ron Ace column and then you know Tuesday morning the first thing I see and the thing is I didn't there seems to be this or there's not anymore but there seemed to be for a few weeks this misconception that somehow Frank Miller had magically driven me from comics which is really (laughs) fucking hilarious um and the way the post was originally written, it would kind of sound like that, so I fixed it. But that was just the first thing I saw on Tuesday morning of, like, January 4th. And I just 
kind of was like, that's it. That's it. I've just fucking had it. Mm-hmm. This is so obnoxious. This is so typical of the the attitude. Oh, it's actually, it looks like it was actually January 3rd. It was January 3rd. Mm-hmm. Um, this is so typical of an attitude that I'm just unfinished. This, this is it. I'll just say right now, I'm done, and it's things, not this, but things like this that have made me go, I'm done. I'm, I'm done with this shit mm-hmm. because I just had enough. Yeah. I, I think um, what you were just saying, that the the reason that's offered up often for offensive behavior is just, oh, well, we didn't mean it. Yeah. And... and it's never, I mean, there's, it, when there's a power imbalance, it doesn't matter if you meant it or not, because yeah. when you're the one who has the power, which is in our society, right? The straight, older white guys usually, um, yeah. of course Generally, it, yeah. yeah, it doesn't matter whether you really meant it or not. And of course at some unconscious level you probably did, but it's the people on the receiving end who have to be allowed to get angry about something that's happened to them, whether you yeah, intended I mean, it to be offensive or not. If it was offensive to them, you have to accept the fact that it offended someone. Yeah, it was, it was a joke that went too far, but at the point where I have my arms up in front of my chest and I'm saying no, mm-hmm. and they're continuing to try to touch me, guys, it's not funny mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, if you jiggle once and you quit, okay, that would kind of piss me off, but at least you stopped mm-hmm. when I said stop that. But they didn't. And I'm like, you know, not that it would be any better if it was in a casual bar or the, you know, the smoking bar in San Diego where you can get, like, ice cream and hookahs, which I think is an incredible combination. <laughs> I highly recommend this place if I could remember the name of it because they're awesome and they gave me back my wallet when they found that when they were cleaning. Um, but it doesn't matter if it was the ice cream or hookah place or just walking down the street or in a really nice place, which is where we were, a really nice place. It's just, it's wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, but the second year I was in San Diego, I had my ass and crotch grab at a party. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, 20 years later, you would think in 20 years. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I think that, that it, it's very much symptomatic of everything that, that now women are getting very angry about, that this kind of treatment, things that happen, whether it's at parties or at cons or in comics, yeah. it's casual. It's very casual and very offhand, yeah. like... This is just the way it is, and we're not even paying attention to it. And finally, I think there's a lot of rage over the casualness of the way women get treated. Um, and, yeah, and the casualness is, is really disturbing, the thoughtlessness mm-hmm. of it. You, you know, I don't know that <laughs> cold and calculating, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> power drill rape, but, you know, if that's any better. But, yes, yeah, just kind of the, you know, well, what are you so upset about kind of thing. And that is the kind of thing I have been hearing. That is the excuse I have been hearing since I was 12 yeah, years yeah, old. Yeah. It's been 31 fucking years and I'm tired. Of it. Yeah. I'm tired. Well, excuse me, I'm bad at math tonight. 30 years. <laughs> but the first time I heard that, it's not that big a deal, was when I was 12 years old. It is a big fucking deal. Yeah. It is. It's a huge fucking deal. It's a huge deal. Because, you know, this is, it's two against one or it's, you know, it's a convention organizer groping my ass, mm-hmm. you know, at a, at a private party. Um, you know, it's two people against one at a dinner where, you know, they don't have any compunction about, you know, acting like jackasses, but I do. Yeah, and, and it is a big deal. I think, and I'm, and I'm quoting now from a lot of the discussion that's been happening um, over on Girl Wonder because of the, the flap that happened this week, but... Um, yeah, go girl wonder. Ooh. <laughs> go women and go, go when fangirls attack. Ooh. Yeah, but um, it is a big deal because as a woman, when you see yourself in a comic book, mm-hmm. it's you. I mean, it might be yes. some other character, but it's you as a woman. And if it's happening to that character, in a way, it's you, right? The personal is political and you can't yes. help but be offended by it. It's not just a character in a comic book. It's you. It's part of you personally. And I think a lot of male readers and writers and artists simply don't grasp that. No, they don't. Or they don't want to. Or they don't want to. Yeah, that's the they other part. They either don't or they don't want to. I've, I've, met, I've met both. I've met the guys who don't, and I've met the guys who don't want to. You know, I've, I've, I know both kinds. I think, I want to think 
I could be wrong. I haven't done a formal survey. I want to think that most of them just don't, mm-hmm. rather than don't want to because it puts the don't want to put you out of your comfort zone. And God knows, you know, quitting put me way out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. But being in wasn't my comfort zone either. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we have an expression in my house invented by me because it's my house um (laughs) called the six thousand dollar look and six thousand dollars is what i was paid for the interior of um mongaverse punisher and when the book came out the credit uh i was co-credited on the art with the colors um, guru efx who did a really, uh, let's be very, very clear before anybody flips out about this, they did a fantastic job on my book. Um, there were a few things I didn't like, but it was, but, you know, aside from that, they did a really fantastic job. They, they got all these little things that I asked for them to do coloring-wise right. They were beautiful. It's like really gorgeous, shiny comic book color. And... But it was color. They didn't do the art. Mm-hmm. And that was my problem with it. It was like, see, see, uh, what? You know, I'm mm-hmm. like, so what? Um, and part of the reason I was bothered by this is because the uh, bookend pieces were drawn by Ben Dunn. And I, uh, Google EFX operates in the same office space as Antarctic Press, the publishers of things like Ninja High School, Warrior Nun, Ariala. <laughs> Many things that a lot of people make fun of, but were still a huge hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got to see Ben's work in production, and I got to see how much uh, uh, Joe Welton and uh, gosh, and, Ron, uh, and Lee Duhigg, who colored the book, um, were adding to Ben's work. And I, I saw panels that were super detailed, crazy-ass cityscapes. I also saw at least one panel where there was just a note, put the moon here. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, okay. But Joe really, you know, worked very hard on Ben's work and did a really beautiful kind of, you know, psychotically gorgeous job on on Ben's work and mine, Lee and and, and, uh, Joe both. But they were credited as co-artists on Ben's work. Mm -hmm. And I was like, um... Um, I have a problem with it, and I'm given to understand that when they, they saw the issue before I did, when they opened it up and saw they co-credit, they're just like, oh, So who, dis- oh, who decided oh, to do that? What is she going to think? Oh, we're scared. Because, um, you know, my, uh, my uh, not quite disgust with things is not a really new thing. Um and <laughs> kind of afraid, but they, you know, they were like, well, it, it's not our fault we didn't do it. It's not our fault we didn't do it. It's not our fault we didn't do it. So who but, decided, though? Who put who put that down as a co-credit? No, I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I couldn't say because I, I'll, and I can't say because I never asked. <sighs> I never asked who made that decision. All I know was that they did, you know, no more work. Um, coloring my artwork than they did on Ben. They didn't draw any pages. Um, there were pages that were um, that were assembled in parts because I had sometimes corrected panels and sometimes panels um, pages would come in two pieces and they would assemble them. But that's not still not drawing. That's production work. Um, they didn't draw anything in that book. Um, the only thing that was drawn, per se, was a, a single landscape that uh, Joe wanted to change to a seascape for reasons that escaped me, um, rather than uh, the sort of a castle up on a hill and then it's looking down over a city, which is um, drawn from reference of a real castle, um, and Joe changed it to a seascape, and bleh, no, I'm not sure why, but that's kind of the extent of the drawing in the work, and anyway, but getting to the $6,000 work thing, I was really upset about the co-credit because they were not co-credited on Ben's work, mm-hmm. um, and I felt like that was 
it was a little unfair for that credit to suggest that I had not drawn mm-hmm. every stinking panel of that book, and I researched it like crazy. Peter David wrote a really funny, smart, you know, kind of, you know, sassy-ass script for this. This total piss take on sort of, you know, adult but not hentai, not porn manga, mm-hmm. but, you know, just taking on adult anime. Adult, not porn. Mm-hmm. But, you know, right on the verge of it, right on the verge of it, kind of adult stuff. And I thought it was really funny, and I researched a lot. I, I assembled huge amounts of research materials to do this work justice, even though it was, you know, supposed to be ha funny. Um, and and what and as it turned out, the person who assisted me in inking some pages, Rod Espinoza, creator of Courageous Princess, um, Rod didn't get his credit <laughs> for assisting me. And uh, as far as I know, I could be wrong, but I don't recall that Rod got a credit. So you know, on top of that, my actual assistant you know, an inking to help me get it finished in time, time-ish, was not even credited. Um, so I, uh, I waited till I got the check, you know, because I thought, I'm not going to make a stink about this now, not when I don't have my check. Yes, that's smart. Very smart. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait until I have my check. So I, uh, I, I wait until I get my check. I'll wait until my check clears the bank. And then I wrote uh, a note to the editor and um, said, you know, I, um, hmm. I don't have a problem with the credit here, and I'm really disappointed about the credit for this, uh, the work um, because they didn't draw the book, and it sort of suggests that I, mm-hmm. first of all, it's not an accurate credit. They didn't do any more of my work in the Den and Bens, but it also does seem to suggest that I wasn't capable of um, drawing the book myself. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and I'm really I'm disappointed about this. And um, uh, while I'm trying to write this, I'm getting madder and madder <laughs> writing this because I'm having to, you know, not use swears. Um, and, and, and my son is kind of looking for attention. He's, uh, he's about seven years old at the time. And he's kind of, you know, kind of tugging at my arm, Mommy, Mommy, Mommy. And I'm kind of like, wait a minute, baby. Mommy, wait a minute, baby. Mommy. <laughs> and I'm getting so mad at whoever screwed up this credit and so mad at the unfairness of this and how frustrating it was to finally get some work in at Marvel and not get that you know, that recognition right there in the credits to, to kind of have some of it given over to, you know, this suggestion that I didn't just draw every panel of that. It just makes me so damn mad. And my son keeps bugging me, keeps bugging me. And finally I turned around, I had a I had a chair in my studio, a big old, you know, nasty recliner in my studio at the time. And I told him to sit down and I pushed him towards the chair and the look. The look I got, because he could tell us, well, he didn't do anything. He was just asking for attention. Uh-huh. And he gives me this look, and I can tell by the look in his eyes that he knows he didn't do anything, but I pushed him. Mm-hmm. I pushed him, and he didn't do anything, and he could tell. There's a look in his eyes, he's like, you're not mad at me. Why did you do that? Mm-hmm. I didn't do anything. Why did you do that? And I felt so bad, and that's the $6,000 look. Mm-hmm. And that's a really shaggy story. I apologize. <laughs> but um, Had a good payoff, though. <laughs> What's that? It had a good payoff, so it was worth it. And that's the $6,000 look, is that look on my kid's face, or my husband's face, because my husband's given me that look, too, and long before we had kids, of getting so wrapped up in this bullshit of comics, of, of credit, um, of, of, you know, am I getting enough? Am I getting enough attention? Are people paying attention mm-hmm. enough? Do people love me today? hmm that that look on your family's face when you're blowing up because of some bullshit that happened to you professionally at a convention or online or you got some bad news, your editor's mad at you because you're poking along or, you know, somebody told you you weren't quite right for the project or, you know, or somebody gives you a review and they diss you and it just kind of wrecks your day. And, and I don't ever want to see that look on my son's face. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
or my daughter or my husband or my own. Yeah. I don't want my dog to look at me like that. Yeah, yeah, for it's, sure. It's not right. And But to see that look on a seven-year-old kid's face is just soul-crushing. <laughs> it's soul-destroying to have your kid look at you and think, Marvel isn't that big fucking deal, Mama. Why did you do that? Mm-hmm. It's just fucking common. And, and I just made up my mind right then that I would never see that look on my kid's face. That's part one of the interview. Stay tuned. We will be continuing with part two in your next download. I'm not going to do the normal introduction. We're just going to go right to the interview because I want you to hear everything else that Leah has to say. So get to the next download and you'll hear part two of my interview with Leah Hernandez. (laughs) 